What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations, they much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And tonight, we're going to talk about a thought that I had when I was reading the book of John. Wednesday nights at Riverview, we're going through the book of John, and we hadn't got to chapter 18 yet, but I was reading, and uh, there's just a wonderful thought here that we can pull, and I'm going to try to pull a thought from us tonight. We're probably not going to be on here for the full hour. It depends on how active you guys are. But uh, incidentally, if those of you that are here, if you would share this live stream, um, normally I'm tacked on to the back of the Digital Bible Study Connect. I don't know. I haven't talked to Jonathan, so I didn't know there, there wasn't a broadcast tonight. So maybe they're not having a broadcast because of the, uh, the Thanksgiving week. Uh, Thanksgiving in the United States is Thursday. Uh, the first week in October, uh, or the second Monday, the first Monday in October, I can't remember, Google it. Uh, October has, uh, or Canada has their Thanksgiving in October. But anyway, uh, y'all are rolling in. I'm so glad to see you here. Please share this live stream. Do all that stuff. Okay, so they're not broadcasting this week. They'll be back next week. Cool beans. Well, I am going to continue to broadcast. In fact, I think that that I, I'm my goal was to go live on Cogitation's Facebook page four days out of the five on a week on a work day on a work week. <clears throat> But um, I think last week I went live every day, and uh, I think the more I'm getting back into the swing of live streaming of doing my cogitations, um, the more the more thing the the easier it is. So it's it's kind of fun. I'm I'm I missed it, and uh, I think I'm back. I've I've picked up some new followers. It's it's pretty cool. The Facebook page is growing. Cogitations Facebook page. So those of you that are here, maybe go over there and like the Cogitations Facebook page and be sure and press the notification bell or the notification button on Facebook. I don't stream on YouTube. Uh, that's where you uh, hit the bell for YouTube to get notifications. But uh, there's, there's, no, there's no bell like that on YouTube. On Facebook, you've got to actually turn on notifications. Anyway, I'm done with that. If uh, if you like what we do, if you like this podcast, uh, consider supporting me as a podcaster. You can do that through www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. Or if you support Digital Bible Study, that helps me inadvertently. Either way is fine. Uh, good evening, Gita, um, Marie Harris, Jonathan Exum, good to see you. And of course, Debbie Mangus is here. And I thought I saw Katie Smith. Yeah, I did. Good evening, Katie Smith. And, uh, all right, let's, let's get in this. Let me give you this verse. This is John 18. And to set the stage, uh, Jesus is about to be arrested. And actually, verse 3 will start. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? And they answered and said, Jesus of Nazareth. 
Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, stood with him. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So they drew back and fell to the ground. This, to me, is comical. I picture, uh, oops, I don't want to hit the mic. Um, I picture a, a contingent of men with Judas, and they're all huddled together. They've got torches. They have weapons, of, of all things, and they're going after Jesus. And they know Jesus is peaceful. Jesus has never done anything violent. Well, I say that. <laughs> now that I think about it, he did drive out the money changers in the temple twice. So maybe they, maybe they thought he was so physically powerful that they could overpower him. But he's not looking at them, and they're inching up on him. And then he turns around to see them, and they jump back so, so fast that they fall over. Now, that's, that's the Tony Brewer headcanon. That's the movie that plays in my mind. But here I'm looking at the Word of God they drew back and fell to the ground. So they were scared of this man. Jesus was so formidable that these men who were soldiers, who had weapons, who were in a group who could easily overpower one individual, drew back so fast that they fell to the ground. They, they stumbled and fell. Anyway, I think that's just neat. Has absolutely, well, I guess it would have something to do with our podcast tonight. I'll probably draw a thought from that later. Brandon Dressner. Yeah, Brandon tuned in to my cogitations this morning. So for those of you that don't know, we I do two live streams on Tuesdays. One I do for uh, the Christianity Now podcast with me and Aaron Dotson. Aaron was not able to be with us this week. Um, he might not be able to be with us next week, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna just deal with that. But anyway, um, so I, so Tuesdays on on. Digital Bible Study Facebook page, YouTube channel, and Cogitations Facebook page, I go live. Uh, but that's only if I have Aaron Dotson. We may have to take a few weeks hiatus from the Christianity Now podcast, but I'll still be doing live streams. Anyway, that being said, so they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, whom are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And I bet you their voice was shaky. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. That the saying, of the, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke of those whom you gave me, I, am lo- I have lost none. Now, all right, that's all setting the stage. Simon Peter, verse 10, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servants high priest servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now, think about this. Peter wasn't trying to chop off his ear, folks. Peter was trying to chop off his head. He drew the sword, so he reached. He would have reached across his body and grabbed the hilt of the sword and drew it and slashed across his body. He was not trying to remove the man's ear from his head. He was trying to remove the man's head from his body. Peter meant business. <coughs> so, something interesting happened here. Jesus, being ever the calming agent, 
did something wonderful. Listen, verse 11. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachments of troops and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. Now we can read from other accounts of the scripture that Jesus also said, uh, this is a spiritual warfare. If it was a carnal warfare, my, my children would fight for me. I haven't called you to fight for me in this way. Put up your sword. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword, all that. But this here is what I want to focus on in John 18. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? I want to pull a thought from this. It is very important not to have a victim mentality. In any situation you're in, no matter how bad the cards are stacked against you, no matter how bad the deck of cards is stacked against you, no matter how much of a deficit you are operating from, if you do not concede and consent to being a victim, you will be a very formidable foe. And that's whether it's a, on a spiritual level, a foe of Satan, or a foe of the people in the world that are trying to get you. It is when you give up. It's when you say, woe is me, and it's when you start fighting against the system that you're in instead of learning how to thrive in that system that you will greatly be at a deficit. We have to accept that whatever goes on on this earth, we are drinking the cup that God gave us to drink. This is, this is where we are. This is what we are. This is what we do. We are going to suffer on this world. I can choose to be a victim or I can choose to be a victor. And you might be saying, well, Tony, what if you still lose? How can you lose? Let's, let's ask the Apostle Paul, how do you lose? Listen, I'm going to put my marker here at John because we may or may not come back to it. But let's go to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. This is, this is so interesting. Let's see. There's a phrase, and it's in the King James. I hope I can find it. Oh, that's Colossians. No wonder it looked funny. I wasn't seeing anything. All right, now I got my bearings. Now, there's a, there's a phrase. I call it a, a um, well, um, an iceberg statement. Let's just, let, me, let me just start reading. I'm going to start in verse 3 to the, book, to the letter of the church of Philippi. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel and from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, just as is right for me to think of this of you, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you, all with the affliction of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love 
may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve of the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. This phrase here, the things which happened to me, is an iceberg statement. It's this much, little bitty, teeny bit sticking out above the water, and there's like a million pounds of ice underneath the water. What were the things that happened unto Paul? Well, we can go to his letter to the church in Corinth and read the lashes, the beatings, the shipwrecks, all of that good stuff. We can go to the end of the book of Acts whenever we see uh, he is taken by force and he's going to be scourged. And he has to say, hey, listen, is it right for you to scourge a Roman citizen without a trial? Whenever he's at the Philippian jailer, uh, he's beaten with many lashes, and he sings praises. And in the middle of the night, he baptizes the household of the Philippian jailer. And the next morning, he goes before the magistrate and says, look, you need to bring the judges down. You need to bring the officials down. We want to plead our case. We're Roman citizens. This man was unflappable. This man was formidable. This man was not a victim, even whenever he was sitting bound in the stocks. And when it come time to write a letter to encourage the church in Philippi, he didn't focus on all those things. Do you understand that if those things happened to me, that's all you'd hear about? And, and I consider myself a strong individual. I don't consider myself to be one who plays a victim. But my God Almighty in heaven, if I'm persecuted for the gospel, woe is me. I'm going to be playing a violin, singing a sad song. You, you're going to know about it. I hope that's not the case. I think I'm stronger than that. But I know the human condition. I wouldn't be as nonchalant about the sufferings that I have received as Christ, if I, or for, uh, for Christ, if I had received, if I if if I received those sufferings like Paul received them. But Paul just wrote nonchalantly. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Growth comes from suffering. Victory in Jesus. Amen. And that's the way we have to deal with it. You have to think, look, this is the cup which God hath given me to drink. I can drink it as a victim, and I can be worse off for it, or I can drink it as a victor, and I can be better off for it, and I can use my experience to further the gospel. Paul gives a great example of perseverance. Absolutely, he does. Now, check this. I started the reading of the, church, of the book of Philippians. Good evening, Rose. Good to see you. I hope you and June are doing well over there in Toronto. Um, I started reading this in, to find this phrase in the book of, in the book of Philippians because I, I posited the question, well, Tony, what if the system is rigged against us and we lose and it kills us here on this earth or we don't get the job that we're looking for or we die in squalor and, and financial destitution? Haven't we lost? Not if you died in Christ. Let's go to, let's go to our brother, the Apostle Paul. Paul, you're in chains. 
you're bound in prison. How do you how do you consider yourself a victor? So how do you stop a man like Paul? How do you defeat him? If you catch him preaching, or actually if you hear about his conversion and you say, listen, whenever you leave the city, we're going to take you and we're going to kill you. Paul says, well, I ain't playing that game. And the brethren uh, uh, lower him down with a basket or buy a basket on the, on the other side of the city. Lower him over the wall. Well, what if you get to another city and they say, if you don't quit preaching, we're going to throw you in jail. Well, you get thrown in jail. They beat you. They throw you in jail. They handle you roughly. And you sing praises unto God, and then you convert the jailer and his family. They send you on their way. You come to another city, and they say, if you don't quit preaching the gospel, we're going to stone you. So you preach the gospel, and they stone you, and they carry you out of the city because they're pretty sure they killed you. What do you do? Well, you, he gets up and goes back to preaching. Well, then they say, if, we, if, we don't, if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to put you in prison. You'll never see the light of day. You'll never see freedom again on this earth. What's he do? He continues preaching, and they throw him in prison. And he never sees a light of day and, and, and freedom on this side of eternity. But what's he do while he's in jail even? He writes the bulk of the New Testament, and he preaches the gospel to Caesar's household, even. And then they say, if you don't quit, we're going to kill you. You're going to, we're going to execute you. And then he writes a letter to Timothy. He says, I fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. I'm now ready to be offered. There's a crown of righteousness laid up for me at that day and, and, and for all those who've died in faith, who will die in faith. When you look at chapter 1, verse 20, listen to it. Actually, verse 19, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul was good with either one, whether by life or by death. But if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant by Christ, by my by, by by in Jesus Christ by my coming again, so on and so forth. He would rather depart and go be with Jesus, or he'll get out of jail and he'll go back and help the people at Philippi. See, you can't kill, you can't defeat a man like that, because. Once they finally killed him, he got what he wanted. He went to paradise. Paul's a very formidable individual. Katie Smith says, We will never know on this side of heaven what the providence of God has done in our lives. 
we go through all these trials to be tested, and hopefully we have the fortitude and attitude of Paul, and we live our lives as an epistle of the gospel. That's the goal, I think. I think you are correct. That is the goal. And it goes back to Genesis chapter 4. This is such a beautiful uh, passage of Scripture, and, it, and, it, and it, it's a tipped hat to God's social contract. If you do well, will it not be accepted of you? But if you do not well, then sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I say this a lot. What that means is if you transgress the rules of the universe, those rules have been set up by God. If you transgress the rules of the universe, what is going to happen is you will enter into a, a, a copulative relationship with sin. The progeny of that union will be chaos death, nothing that you want. There will, you will experience a certain kind of hell on earth. All right? We need, and, and I, I know that there are demographics that function at a deficit. I know that there are people that have had a hard-knock life. I know that there are people for whom the system is rigged. The way to rise above that, the way to live the best life on this earth that you possibly can and guarantee the best life that you could possibly have in the world to come is allow the grace of God to teach you that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, how to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. You will, if you do not consent to be a victim, regardless of what happens to you, regardless of how much it's out of your control, regardless as to how helpless you feel, you will be a very formidable individual and you will be able to be or you will be undefeatable the way Paul was undefeatable. If you have that attitude that Jesus had on the night he was betrayed when he told Peter, shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? This is my lot in life. I remember Keith Mosier in, in, in school telling us about a woman that, that had cancer. And she had had a pretty rough go of it, and on top of that got cancer. And he was visiting with her, and he, I can't remember what he said, but it prompted her. Like, he, he would ask, he asked her a question one time, he said something to the, and you're not supposed to quote Keith Moser from your notes. I'm not quoting him. I'm trying to remember exactly what he said, though, which is kind of like a quote, isn't it? Don't tell him. Um, he said something about it, you know, how do you stay how do you stay so upbeat and faithful with these bad things happening to you and i believe her response was well you know i kind of thought about that kind of like why me 
And then the answer came to me, and the answer was, well, why not me? Now, that, that's a good question. Why not me? I mean, if there's going to be evil, if there's going to be suffering, if there's going to be bad things happening in the world to people, why do we think it shouldn't happen to us? Humans have that kind of weird, deluded way of thinking. And when I say humans, I'm including me. You know, it can't happen to me. You know, I'm 45 years old, and I have, I'm, I'm, I've known some people very, very young. A, a, a great gospel preacher uh, died at 58 just a few days ago. He'll be greatly missed. Um, I know somebody else that's about my age that died from a heart attack, gospel preacher. I know of a friend whose husband died as a gospel preacher of a heart attack and wasn't much, but about the same age as, in fact, he was younger than I am right now. I've got this mentality, well, that's not going to happen to me. And that happens to other people. I'm not going to die young. I'm going to live to 172. It won't happen to me. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches, why not you? You see, that that it won't happen to me attitude, like all of this pain and suffering in the world, it's not going to happen to me. If it happens to me, that's a great transgression against me. Well, you know, if you consider all the pain and the suffering happening in the world a great transgression against you, guess what? There's only one entity that you can blame, and that's God. Because God set this world up. And the pain and the suffering in the world is not his fault, but it is his world. So if you think that you are entitled to come through this world unscathed by the pain and suffering, then the person you would be ended up blaming is God. Jonathan Exum's mother died while he was in preaching school. Christine says, I knew a Christian woman like that who had cancer. She was always focused outward on others. I got mad at her one day because she would not talk about herself. <laughs> Katie Smith says, I don't know where I heard this, but this world is the closest a Christian will get to hell, and, the, and this world is the closest those not in Christ will get to heaven. This world is not our home, our, uh, or shouldn't be if we're living a life of Christ. That's it. Incidentally, Joel Osteen wrote a book a few years back, and several years back now, the title of which is Your Best Life Now. I never did like that title, Your Best Life Now. Let me tell you something. I don't want to live my best life now to you, because if this is my best life, then what I've got next is not going to be as good as this, and I've had a pretty rough life, even though I've led a good life. Something to think about. Anyway, so the point is, if we consider that what we go through is just what people go through, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, there hath no temptation overtaken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, and he, and he will make a way of escape. You know what? I'm not going to let that stand. Let me go let me go find that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not be who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Here's the thing. This verse doesn't teach that you will not be allowed to be tempted above what you're able to withstand. Do you know why? Because if that were the case, then God would be a liar because I know people who have been tempted above that which that which they are able to withstand. God does not send the evil. The worst thing that Satan can throw at you with God's help, you will be able to withstand it. That's the idea. That's the premise from which this verse should is coming from and should be looked at for interpretation. You've been overtaken in some temptation, but so is everybody. God's not going to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. That means every temptation that comes, you would be able to bear it if you stood with God, if you understood that you're not alone. The problem is, whenever we get to thinking that we're all alone, that our trials and our temptations, our tests, the things that have befallen us are worse than anybody that's ever come before us, and we have to handle them all by ourselves. That's hard, folks. That's it. Each man's tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. All right. So the, high, the whole idea, don't be a victim. If you understand that what you're going through in this life, that's just the cup God gave you to drink, then you know you'll be able to drink it. And if you remain faithful, you'll be greeted on the other side. You'll be taken by angels to Abraham's bosom. Or you'll be alive on this earth whenever God sends his son back to get his family. That would make you a very form, a very formidable individual. I know that there's a trope in Hollywood whenever they're really, really doing well at writing a tough man character. The, one, of the, one of the ingredients in writing a tough man character is to write a man that's willing to die for his cause. You cannot, you cannot defeat a man that considers death an equitable solution to a problem. If I die defending my ideals, if I die defending my boundary, if I die defending my home, if I die to keep my convictions, then I've won. You can't defeat that man. It's amazing. You can be that person. You can have that much Forgive me for being crude. You can have that much intestinal fortitude. Yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you have this attitude of, well, this is just the cup that God's given me to drink, it changes how the, the hardships and trials hit. I remember being in awe of my father as he lay dying. He wanted me and him alone to pray together. So we did. And I prayed. And I prayed. A, a, 
I prayed a perfect preaching student prayer. He not so much. But I remember, and I'll never forget, what he prayed for. He said, Oh God, if I could ask of you one thing, it would be, or if I could ask of you one thing at this, the end of my life, I would want to know why you have decided to bless me so much. This was a man that was laying in a hospital bed. His body was ravaged with cancer. He had multiple myeloma. He was at the end stages of it. So bad was his body under stress that he had shingles from his head to the sole of his foot. He's pain. He's so so much pain. And he was wanting to know from God why God had deigned to bless him so greatly in his life. And I will tell you, from what I know of the life he led, he led a hard life, wrought or fraught with challenges and hardships and tragedy. And I'll never forget that. That is the mark of a man you cannot defeat. Katie Smith said, this has been the hardest year, of my, or this has been the hardest, I would say, year of my life. I think she missed a word there. And I know without a doubt that I wouldn't be who I am today without God and his people. If I was just a passive believer in God, I'm sure that this year would have shaken my faith to the ground. I'm thankful that I'm not a passive believer. Amen. Yeah, my father was not a passive believer. I didn't realize how strong he was till that day in the hospital. And incidentally, just as an aside, would you believe that he rallied and he lived, I think, three more months? He didn't, he didn't live to see me graduate the Memphis School of Preaching. He really wanted to. I think that's why he held on so long. Um, but he lived long enough to be able to come down to Memphis and he was he and my mother and the children, my, my children, were able to go and spend a couple of days with them in a hotel. And we were able to go out with, to eat with them a few times. And we, we were able to, to, ha- to have that and to say goodbye. Uh, one of the last pictures I had, well, the last picture I have of him, uh, he's in a wheelchair and my son Anthony is pushing him. And we had gone out to eat in Memphis that day at Cracker Barrel. And, uh, yeah, so that's appreciate, appreciate. Christine says, sorry for your loss. Um, anyway, so I, I think about that a lot. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I was kind of a brawler in my younger days. Uh, it's hard for me sometimes to, uh, to deal with people who have never been punched in the mouth over the things that they say. Because I think this generation, because of YouTube to borrow or, or Facebook to borrow something that Mike Tyson said, I think this generation has gotten way too used to being able to say anything they want to say to somebody else and and have without any fear being punched in the mouth. Um, so it's hard for me to deal with folks sometimes. I'm like, if 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 I were the person I I used to be. You you wouldn't talk to me that way, you know. 
Um, that being said, I have found other, I found other ways to be strong and other ways to be formidable. For one, I don't, I don't filter what I say. I don't check up what I say. And I don't care who it offends when I say it, if it's the truth. Now, what that means is I'm very calculating with what I say. Even if I say one of the most offensive things that you could ever hear come out of a man's mouth, you better believe I've thought it through and I've said it on purpose. And that's hard for some people to swallow. I'm hard for some people to take. But I will never be a man that cowers in fear of the consequences or repercussions for saying the truth. And, by the way, to borrow a line from a heathen comedian, Dave Chappelle, the more I am told that I shouldn't say something, that I'm not allowed to say something, the more need there is for me to say it. And um, the people that are in my sphere of influence uh, have told me that they are greatly benefited by that and that I've said some things to them and in front of them that have been hard to bear, but they are stronger for it and they are better off for it. And when I speak the truth, when I preach the truth, it's hard to hear. It's hard to bear, and I get beat down. I get repercussions. I get persecuted. The attitude that I take is, why not me? Why not me? Why shouldn't I drink the cup that my Father has given me? And I think we need more people like that. I think we need more people like that. Gita, uh, Christine said she was five when she lost her dad. I, I hate that. I couldn't imagine growing up without a, without a father. And Gita says, your dad was an amazing example of faith in action. I'm sorry you lost. Oops. I'm sorry you lost him. Thank you for that, Gita. And um, Christine says her, uh, her mother was a devout Christian of six siblings and raised us on a little of nothing, a powerful five-foot-three-inch woman. She bore up under the loss of my dad. Very good. Uh, Jonathan, it may be. Let's go to Matthew chapter 20, 22 and 23, and read what that says. Matthew 20, 22 and 23. Jesus answered and said, You do not know what to ask. You are, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said unto him, We are able. So he said unto them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with my baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand is not mine to give. It is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. This is where uh, the mother of the sons of Zebedee went to Jesus and said, Hey, I've got, a, I've got a favor to ask. I've got a question. He said, Ask it, woman. In the in the kingdom, I want my one son to sit at your right hand and one son to sit at your left hand. And he berated her, like he made a public example of her. And then he asked that very pointed question. Are you able to be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with? Are you able to drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink? And now that baptism and that suffering, that's the same thing he's talking about. 
you want to do this? You want you want to give me this favor? You want me? You want to set up my right hand, and left hand? Are you able to go through what I'm about to go through? The rhetorical answer was no. The, the answer to that rhetorical question rather was no. But they said we well, are able, and then I can just he kind of dismissed me. He said, "Oh, you're look, you're you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with. You're going to drink the cup I'm about to drink." He didn't comment on whether or not they were able. You see, after the resurrection, or, or after the, the arrest and trial, his apostles were numbered with the transgressors. That's why, that's why he told them to go get swords, so they could defend themselves with extreme prejudice. You're going to be numbered with the transgressors. They were persecuted beyond measure. I think history tells us that every one of them, except John, died a horribly violent death. So yeah, Jonathan, I, I think I think Matthew twenty, twenty-two through twenty-three does apply. We are if we are faithful in Christ Jesus, we're going to suffer persecution. We're going to drink the cup that he drank, the persecution. We're going to be baptized with the baptism he was baptized with. That's the persecution. We're going to be ba- we're going to be we're going to be persecuted if we're doing the right thing. And I always say, Christian, if you haven't been persecuted in a while, if the answer to the question is, when's the last time where you were persecuted for the cause of Christ, and you have to think very hard on that, you might need to reconsider your convictions. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. You got it? So if the world loves you, well, be careful. I know that I hear a lot of times I, there was there was a guy I recently found out about, and every time somebody mentioned his name, everybody said, "Oh, everybody loved him." He didn't meet a there, there wasn't a person around that didn't absolutely love him. Like, well, then either a his sphere of influence was way too small, or b he was a friend of the world. Because I guarantee you, you can't say that of Jesus. Oh, everybody that met him loved him. No, can't say that of Jesus. Can't say it of Paul. Can't say it of Peter. Can't, who, who, who great from Scripture, can, about, about whom from Scripture can you say, oh, everybody loved him? If you're doing your job as a Christian, you're going to be hated. There's a meme. There is a meme uh, from a terribly perverse show called Rick and Morty. And evidently the character Rick is on a stage and he's being booed. And the meme has him shaking his fist or pointing or something saying, and he's saying, I don't care about your boos because I have seen what makes you cheer. Got it? I don't care about your booze because I've seen what makes you cheer. When the world hates us, in fact, what's that? I can't think of the verse now. Um, all right, it is, I think it's John 15. Let's see. Let me start in John 15, verse 18. He's talking to the apostles here. If the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. 
Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. If the world doesn't hate you, folks, if the world's not working against you, maybe it's because you're still too much in the world. And remember, friendship with the world is enmity with God. So yeah, I think, Jonathan, that Matthew passage has a lot to do with what I'm talking about tonight. Whenever you are Christians and you're acting as Christians and the world hates you, therefore it's rigged against you and you're suffering because of it, you're being baptized with and drinking the cup. You're being baptized with the baptism Jesus was baptized with and you're drinking the cup that Jesus drank from, why should you not drink the cup that's prepared for you by your Father? Something to think about. Now, if the burden is too much to bear, what do you do? Well, that's a good question. Brethren, if any man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know one of the ways that God prepares, one of the ways of escape? That's it. Call in the troops. We don't shoot our wounded. We tend to our wounded. Actually, sometimes we shoot our wounded. That's a podcast for another time. We need to get better about not shooting our wounded, but care for our wounded. Who was it? Let me see. Was it Katie? Let me read that message again from Katie. Nope. Hold on. Somebody talked about if it weren't for the brethren, they'd have had a hard time this year. I thought it was Katie. I could be wrong. Anyway, in the comment section, somebody alluded to the fact that if they didn't have the brethren surrounding them, they'd have had a much harder time of it than they would than they did otherwise. And that's what that that's what Christine meant when she said call in the troops. Um Jonathan Exum says, We should not be normal as the world sees it. When the world looks at us, they should think we are weird. Absolutely. I remember talking to somebody this is this is off the subject a little bit, but not much. I remember talking to somebody about homeschooling my children. My my son's 20, my daughter's 18. So whenever we started homeschooling, it wasn't as prominent as it is now. And we got a lot of people saying that we shouldn't be, a lot, lot of folks expert in raising children that wanted to tell us how to raise ours. And my response was, I don't want my children to turn out like yours turned out. <laughs> and of course, you can imagine me, I wasn't I wasn't near the soft, gentle person then as I am now. I made a lot of people mad. In fact, I, I publicly, I said, look, I don't care short of beating them badly or starving them. I don't care what you do to your children short of harming them. You do your children the way you want to do your children. I'll do my children the way I want to do my children and drop it. I was tired of dealing with it. But I remember one person, whenever I talked about homeschooling, I'm like, I, I don't want my children, you know, no proms, no nothing like that. And my the, the person said, well, Tony, don't you want your children to be a little bit popular? I'm like, no. 
No, I don't. I don't want my children to be popular. And not in that context. I want them to be popular with Christians. I want them to be well-loved by people who are, are called to be lovers of good men, good people. You know, that's one, you know, that's one prerequisite to be an elder, is to be a lover of good men, a lover of good people. Elders are supposed to be able to discern the difference. That means there's a difference to discern. And so if, if, if an elder is an example of how a Christian ought to be, if they're, the, if they're an ideal, then we, as, as just regular members under their guidance and leadership, should strive to emulate them. Therefore, we ought to be lovers of good people too. So yeah, I want them to be popular amongst the brethren, but I don't want them, I don't want them to be popular with the world. I want, I, want, I want mainstream worldly people to not like my children very much. I don't want them to like me very much. And why, why would I? Why shouldn't I drink the cup which my father has prepared me? Christine says, my daughter said to me one day, everybody is doing it. I said, then it must be wrong. You're not doing it. Absolutely. Uh, Katie Smith said, "Twas I. She's the one that talked about. Yeah. Uh, First Peter 2, 9. What is that? Is that the royal priesthood? Yeah. Let me go read that. I Deborah, I should know that. First Peter. Hebrews, James, first and second Peter. First Peter 2 9. We'll read it. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I would add Ephesians chapter 5. I think just read the whole chapter. You once were darkness, now are you light. Walk, therefore, as children of light. <laughs> Deborah, did I ask you for money to raise my children? Then mind your own. Amen, sister. Christine Woodall, was Jesus popular? Nope. He wasn't even popular among, he, he, at the end, he didn't have but 12 people around him. And when he went through the hardest thing he ever went through in his life, it was only John standing at the foot of his cross with his mother. Connie Barton said, it is very hard to tell Christian children from worldly children these days, and that is sad. You got that much. Claudette says, thank you so much for this, this lesson. Well, I appreciate that, Claudette. And uh, Connie Barton says, not all, but most. Yeah, you're, you're right, Connie. And that's the thing. Okay, so the parable of the wheat and tares uh, was the sower went out to sow the field and then went to rest. And at night, the enemy came in and sowed tares amongst the wheat. And as it come up, the worker said, hey, there are tares. Do you want us to go out and gather up the tares? And the vineyard and the, and the, the boss said, no, because if you pluck up the tares, you're going to pluck up some of my wheat. So to just wait till harvest. And at harvest, they harvested it all. The tares went into storage, and uh, pardon me, reverse that. The wheat went into storage, and the uh, tares were burned. Now that's a that's a parable that's talking about the end of the age that they're in, but it still works as an application for us. 
we look across Christendom, across, the, let's say, even the churches of Christ, and there are people who were bought in, and there are people who are on the fringe. There are some tares, there are some wheat. And sadly, um, until maturity, it's very hard to tell the wheat from the tares. So we let God deal with that. But I'm with you, Connie. It's, it's rough. It's hard, you know? Anyway, Christine Woodall's laughing. Uh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Acts in the letter of the Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Titus, or Galatians, and Ephesians, uh, Philippians, Colossians. Oh, come on. First and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy, Titus and Philemon. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Katie Smith. I've often wondered if the fact that John was at the cross with Jesus, his mother, was the reason why he, by all accounts, died a natural death rather than a violent death, purely speculation. Yeah, that, who knows? Um, I know that uh, it's funny at the end of the book of John, uh, Jesus is telling Peter, hey, you're going to be bound, all this, that, and the other. And Peter says, well, what about him? I don't know why he picked him out. And uh, Jesus says, don't worry about him. <laughs> if I want him to live forever, he, what's it to you? And there was a rumor that that he was going to live forever, and it had to be dispelled. <laughs> like the Holy Spirit had to dispel it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of funny. Anyway. I think I'm done, folks. I, I hope that you've got something out of tonight's uh, podcast. Um, just ask yourself the question. Whenever trials and tribulations come upon you, don't consider yourself a victim. Consider yourself a victor. Do not consent to victimhood. I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. There is no temptation overtaking me such as common to man, but God is faithful who will with the temptation make a way of escape. I'm going to stick with a brotherhood. Acts chapter 2, verse 47. Keep your nose in the book and your feet with the brethren. Remember, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayer. Keep your nose in the book. Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Or, uh, doctrine and then uh, break, and, and keep your feet with the brethren. Breaking a Bread Fellowship Prayer. Anyway, uh, that's all I've got. Um, just ask yourself whenever you go through the trials, should I not drink the cup that my Father has given me? And you will be just like Paul. They're going to have to kill you to beat you, but they really won't beat you then because you will take your rightful place. According to the authority of Jehovah, in paradise, awaiting heaven for eternity. That's all I've got, folks. Thank you all so much. Thank you for the good comments. Thank you for the good crowd. Remember, if you like my podcast and you want to support me as a podcaster, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. Uh, when I upload this to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and TuneIn Radio, that'll be in the show notes. You can go to Cogitations and find me there and uh, like the Cogitations Facebook page and uh, be sure and support digitalbiblestudy.org. That also helps me inadvertently. And uh, this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. God bless you all.
and we'll catch you on the flip side.